Welcome to Crime Time. You're listening to Leonetti's Detection Selection. Welcome to Crime Time, a weekly podcast discussing all things crime, thriller, horror, suspense, and mystery fiction. This is season two, episode 25. That guy is Eddie. And I am Lee, and we are back for another damn episode. Boom! 25, still alive. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, what's 25 years? It's like a... It's like a big anniversary, isn't it? It's like diamond. Something like that. Yeah. Well, can't wait till you get me some cool, I don't know, like diamond-plated bookmark. Look, instead of that, I thought maybe we could do an amazing Australian crime fiction episode. What do you think? <sighs> I really wanted a diamond-encrusted <laughs> bookmark. I'm not going to lie, but second best... Second best is an Australian crime-themed episode. You'll so settle for it. I'll settle for it. Yeah. I'll settle for it. And everybody, if you can hear some ambiance, it is because we are in fact outside today. Mm-hmm. If you can hear some birds, a little bit of Australian Gothic. Mm-hmm. If you can hear some people yelling horrible things, also Australian Gothic. You might hear a kookaburra if you're lucky. I don't think I've heard a kookaburra in the city, actually. Well, today could be that day. Amazing. <laughs> no, I saw one, but yeah. it didn't make any noises. Ah. I was there with my partner, who is from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And the question was posed to me, what kind of a sound does it make? Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, like I can just bust out some like professional bird calls. Like, and then... Oh my God. <laughs> like something like that. Is that a kookaburra? It is not. It is just me. Uh, not the king of the bush, just the uh, king of crime. So, today, boom, we pulled our, our collective knowledge of Australian crime fiction. Boom. And guys, there's going to be stuff we're missing. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. We're not perfect. We're but a small podcast, but we thought we'd chuck out some, some winners. Yeah. Throw them around, talk about it. Yeah. We did a, uh, an episode like this last season where we're talking about Aussie grime. We're talking about the kind of aesthetics that you get in Australian crime fiction. This one's a little bit of a different, different story. Bicycle. It's a different, it's a different rodeo. <laughs> it's a completely to different rodeo. vehicle. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some classics that we've mentioned on this podcast before, and we're going to talk about some that we maybe haven't talked so yeah. much about, and some that I'll never stop talking about. So tell us. Without further ado, verse novels. Boom. I said it. I freaking love verse novels. And do you know who else loves verse novels? Dorothy Porter. Dorothy Porter and Rebecca Jessen. So we'll be talking about them today. We will be. Yes. And? No Australian crime list would be complete without some mysterious disappearances. It's what we're known for. It's a big old desert out there. Joan Lindsay. Boom. Picnic at Hanging Rock. I still argue that there are multiple hanging rocks. I know. We'll get to that. <laughs> and in, uh, if we're going to stay in the disappearing kind of mystery realm, Boom. we're going to be talking Jane Harper's new novel, Force of Nature. Amazing. It's just come out. I'm reading it. We'll get to it. We'll also touch on her 2015 debut novel, The Dry, which I simultaneously loved, couldn't put down, would recommend to everyone. Go out and get it now. All right. Chill, man. We're going to be talking about Sarah Bailey as well. A little bit of honey. Brown, little bit of uh, Ian Ryan, a little bit of Kylie Ladd. What? Strap in, sit down, get ready. Here we go. Oh, and while you're at it, start thinking about different kind of murder techniques people use in crime fiction because we are gonna get to that as well. Boom. Earlier this year, mm-hmm. you reviewed a a book by uh, by Jane Harper. Yeah. It was called The Dry. It was called The Dry. And uh, I seem to recall in the dim recesses of my memory that you would not shut 
up about it. I loved it. It was great. It was her debut novel. <laughs> it was set in rural Australia, right. or like rural Victoria. Okay. Uh, set in a small, I guess, like a farming town. Uh-huh. Uh, something really tragic happens in the beginning of the novel. Uh, a family uh, is gunned down. So they're all, they all Jeez. die. And then it's presumed to be a murder-suicide. So this is, is this before or after um, guns in Australia became really restricted? Well, they're a farming family. So right, they right, right. Had a sure. gun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was presumed in the town that the, the dad of the family had killed the family and then killed himself. Right. Right. Okay. And then we're introduced to none other than Aaron Falk. All right. Who, Falk, like the colour? Like Falk. Oh, Falk. <laughs> right. This whole time, I'm not going to lie, ever since you did, I was like, Aaron Falk, what a shit name. <laughs> I mean, you know, I say that, but my last name's Spoon. Eddie Spoon. <laughs> Eddie Spooner. That's a cool name. That's a pretty cool name. Yeah. Guys, let us know if I should change my name to Eddie Spooner. So we introduced to none other than Aaron Falk. Okay. And he's a, uh, a financial cop. I don't know what you call it. Um, He's a cop that specializes in like finance, okay, money laundering, okay, okay. that kind of thing. Oh, wait, he does that stuff? Or he tracks it down. He tracks it down. Boom. And he, he returns to the town in which he grew up where this murder-suicide, quotation marks. Oh, oh we're, we're pulling out the air quotes. Has presumably happened. And he has a pretty dubious history in the town. I oh. won't go into it too oh my much. God. But it's one of those stories that jump between the past and the present and how those two things come together. Right. So he one time did a deuce on someone's front lawn. Look, I can't. I can't give it away. I'm going to speculate about this dark past. I'm going to say he egged the local church there was a uh, a death of a teenager in the town when Aaron was also a teenager in the town there was an idea that maybe he was implicated in her death Ooh, so dang. The, the the town is still very angry at him when he returns to the town but the death uh, of the family, uh-huh. the guy that presumably did the murder, him and uh, Aaron were very good friends when they were teenagers. Oh, dang. Right? So uh, under a bit of pressure from the guy's family, mm-hmm. starts mm-hmm. investigating what what could have happened if it wasn't a murder-suicide. Okay, but you just said that he's a police accountant. He's a police accountant. So yes, he is a like a financial cop, so mm. chasing after homicide stuff isn't his go-to. Right? Which he tries to say so many times, everyone's like, <laughs> But you're a cop. Go sort this out. He's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm a particular kind of cop. Oh, man, that's so funny. This is like um, Lee has a very good friend who is uh, an economist. Is that? Yes. That's what she does. And I'm forever being like, oh, can you tell me how to do my tax? And she's always like, I'm getting the impression that you don't know what an economist does. This has been going on for many years now. Yeah. At this point, it seems like my own willful rudeness. Um, so I love this story. It's such mm-hmm. a good mystery novel. But also, it, you know, it really, I thought it really bring like rural Victoria to life. Yeah. And the desperation. So we talked about how there's farming families in Australia that mm-hmm. are just, mm-hmm. you know, we have droughts and it ain't so easy on the land no, out fully. here. Like you get people walking away from a farm that's been in their family for generations and that's really tragic. And you also have a really high suicide rate in those rural areas. And it's just awful. I feel like this book really taps into those feelings. I yeah, like, absolutely. Highly recommend. And so I hear our good cop accountant friend, Mr. Spoon, 
<laughs> um, does not end his story here with a dry. Tell me more. His story carries on. Okay. So I've just picked up the new novel. It's called Force of Nature. Mm-hmm. And I'm already loving it. So it's him again. It's him again. So I think it's going to be, I, I presumably there's going to be a series and he is the, the, Amazing. Cop, the cop in the series. Great. I just, I don't understand how like forensic accounting, I mean, I think forensic accounting could be really exciting. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I love... Tracking money. Well, <laughs> I mean, I love Janet King as much as the next person, um, which is, you know, mostly these kind of, you know, it's an Australian crime drama about a prosecuting attorney. I guess she's a barrister or a lawyer or something. I don't know what the terms are in Australia because I watch a lot of American TV. <laughs> but uh, so she does like, she works for the prosecution office and then later she works for like a series of commissions. So like the commission into like, uh, like, bet fixing in like sports and then there's like another commission into like guns being smuggled into Australia and there's like all of these like long series where it's just like a single issue that she's like trying to track down and it's like you know it's really fascinating and it is that kind of forensic accounting type stuff but she also like I'm gonna say it in the classic kind of Patricia Cornwell's uh case carpetta is always getting her nose into stuff that she shouldn't necessarily be as someone who like works for a commission or like works for the prosecuting um office she's like, crossing a lot of boundaries right yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i think that's what jane harper's done really cleverly so mm-hmm. i think the dry was her setting up this main cop character aaron and letting us know about his history and and who he is and how yeah. what his yeah. motivations are whereas this story the force of nature is actually a a financial cop issue oh okay right? so we're returning to his actual wheelhouse yes. rather than him as a fish out of water yes so i've just i really just read the start but there's like a company going on like a, you know those days when you have at work and they try to get everyone to mingle and do a task together. Oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Like a professional development, yeah. getting to know you type getting day. To know you. Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, beautiful. So this company has to go out on some kind of hiking, orienteering thing. Oh my god, you right? just know someone's gonna die. Someone is missing, and her name is Alice Russell. Okay. So everyone like uh it's like a race to see who's going to get through the the hike first and come right out. right right so it's like team building yeah. but also competitive yeah and yeah. someone didn't come out and that's alice <gasps> russell so we we don't know what's happened to her is she lost in the woods we're not sure but is she in, in, implicated in some kind of financial crime well she was aaron's whistleblower on the company <gasps> that has gone in to do the team building exercise oh my gosh fascinating stuff that Love is it. that is suspect as heck yes i'm just gonna throw out my guess here go on what do bears do in the woods we don't have bears no they poop in the woods i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> do bears shit in the woods Boom, she got shot on by a bear. Highly recommend it, Force of Nature. It's just come out, 2017, Jane Harper. Yeah, you've got your finger on the pulse. Let's let's dial it back a bit. Okay, Not so take, current. Take it down, take it down. Let's go back in time. Wow, I'm traveling through time. I've got a really cool mustache now. It's the 70s. Whoa, we're going further <laughs> back. I actually don't know when Joan Lindsay published Hanging Rock. I think it was like 69 or something like right, that. Right, that's a rude number. What? <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Boom. Picnic at Hanging Rock. An Australian mystery classic. And folklore. Mm. People think it's real, and I'm happy for them to feel that way. I thought it was real for mm. many, many years. Me too. So the story is uh, a girl's school goes on a picnic to Hanging Rock, which is this kind of big rock formation. It's on the side of a mountain or something like that, and a picnic location. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Lots of people have been there. Yeah. It's a thing. So what happens is three of the girls and their teacher go missing. 
where have they gone? What's happened? We don't know. Suddenly, two of them come back. Yeah. And they have no memory of any of it. Nothing. And it's this huge-ass mystery. What? What? What happened to the girls? Oh, my Why can't they remember? It's ultimate Australian gothic. Mm-hmm. You just know that there's, like, some galahs in the background, like, wait, that's crows. Anyway, this is my episode for bird calls. If anyone wants a professional bird call-ologist... Call me. <laughs> what I also really love about this, apart from the fact that so many people in Australia mm-hmm. think it's real. So I'm just going to ruin it. If you haven't read it. You've had a while. It's, it's also the journey. It's not just the ending. There mm-hmm. is no ending. Nobody ever knows what happens to these girls. Exactly. There was lots of speculation. Like maybe there was a volcano in there that they fell into. Yeah. People still go out there looking for those girls. I'm not kidding. Are you serious? Yes. It's fiction. <laughs> but nobody knows that. So not too long ago. Imagine being that committed to like finding something out, but not actually doing any research. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me. That'd be me, like, just showing up, like, where are they? They're like, guys, that's, it's, it's made up. <laughs> like, I'd be, like, at the big lobster. Have you seen, have you seen that? The giant crayfish? Yeah, it's kind of like Blair Witch. Everyone goes to that mm, town in mm. the Blair Witch and they're like, stop coming to our town. It wasn't right? even real. Exactly. But I'd be, like, up at that lobster being like, when did this giant kraken wash ashore? And they'll be like, mate, it's fiberglass. I'll be like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's because everyone loves a mystery, right? Mm. Anyway. Anyway, so uh, Joan Lindsay actually wrote a definitive ending for Picnic at Hanging Rock and her editors said, actually, no, we're going to cut you off here and we're just going to leave it open. Yeah. But <laughs> the ending that she previously wrote and got oh my cut God, it's so good. is so good. It's something along the lines of there's aliens, there's outer space stuff, there's time warp continuum stuff. Someone turns into a lizard and crawls into the cracks of the rocks. So it's too much. Good. Oh. On the one hand, I'm really glad that that editor stepped in and we now have this like everlasting legacy of the Picnic at Hanging Rock mystery. Mm. But on the other hand, that's the wackest shit I ever heard and I love it. So good. (laughs) Guys, let us know what you think. Do you think that the original ending to Picnic at Hanging Rock is the greatest ending of all time? Or alternatively, would you prefer the Space Aliens Lizard ending? Let us know. You can uh, tweet us at CrimeTimePod. Yeah, you can send us an email, CrimeTimePodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, CrimeTimePod.com, and comment on this very episode. Let us know. But i got to keep going because we've got a few to get through here. We've got a lot to get through. We've got to pump them out. This book was uh, published in 2009. Uh-huh. It was written by none other than Honey Brown. Okay. And what a great called, name. I know, right? And it was called The Red Queen. Okay. And I picked it up about a year ago and right. I couldn't stop talking about it because I loved it so much. I do recall this. It goes like this. Ready? I'm hanging out and just doing my own thing. Lee comes up and he's like, Eddie, you've got to hear about this great book. It's so good. And then... I flung my, a copy at your head. <laughs> then you flung a copy at <laughs> my head. But my internal just kind of like... Contrary nature. Contrary nature just suddenly clicks the hold music on. Yeah. And I'm just like, whoa, we have waited... Oh, living on a prayer. You know what I'm saying? That's thing Australians love, uh, rock ballads. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, or no, I'm just like, you're the voice trying to understand. <laughs> That's a classic Australian rock ballad. No, but anyway, this novel, The Red Queen, it's in a, it's like a, it's an amazing Australian apocalypse novel. Okay. Right, so uh, there's there's been this virus, I guess, uh-huh. that is uh, that has like killed lots and lots of people. It's called the Red Queen. All right, classic storyline. But I thought maybe we should stop and just talk about something right now. 
Let's do it. And this is a bit more serious. All right. Okay, so I've noticed this thing that in a lot of literature where they talk about apocalypses. Right, yeah. Because I love this kind of thing. Yeah, you're a big big Contagion fan. I'm a big Contagion fan. Not the film Contagion, just the concept. Well, I, I read the book Contagion and it says that, you know, Ground Zero, Hong Kong. Right, right. World War Z, Ground Zero, rural China. Exactly. The fireman, Joe Hill, it's called the scales or the red scales or something. Oh, and it comes from China. It comes from China. Similarly, the Red Queen. I'm not dragging dragging Honey Brown. I love this. But I was just wondering, maybe we need to think more about why we're using this terminology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a thing that I struggle with a lot because I love zombie stuff, right? Yeah. So, which is a subset of the contagion genre. Oh, yeah. The film Contagion, I really enjoy it but it's got this whole thing of that like the whole disease or like virus epidemic whatever happens because of like bad hygiene practices in an Asian country and I don't know like guys we all know that I'm like you know part Chinese and like I have some complicated feelings about this stuff but it gets really depressing when you're like really wanting to engage with like a fantasy thing you know, like the idea of these apocalypse scenarios, like I know that they feel really real, but it is, it's ultimately a fantasy. I want to engage with that fantasy as much as anyone else does, but sometimes you feel like it's like repulsing you. Mm. All right. I read The Water Babies one time by Charles Kingsley mm-hmm. and that book was a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I like literally drop kicked it into a bin, yep. which I've never done to any book before or since Mm -hmm. but not the only reason that it was shit but one of the things about it was that it would address you as my dear lad and like just talk to you explicitly that you're a British (laughs) schoolboy and so it was like this kind of thing where it's like the book is telling you if you are not what I'm talking to you're not welcome to read this book and that's kind of a how I feel when I read these stories or I watch these films you know I'm like I'm enjoying myself but then all of a sudden the film is like no 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 but not you yeah you know what you know I think this this conversation is prominent always but particularly at the moment we all know that the uh the marriage postal vote slash plebiscite is happening yeah and hearing what you're saying about not feeling as though that that is written for you right Mm. I feel like there's a lot of people that would just be like are you being too sensitive just pretend that it's that's not there just like pretend that it's okay and you can keep going and it's like guys queers people of color they do that all the time constantly constantly you might not realize this but in your day-to-day life not much is catered to you but you have to reconceptualize it in your mind that it is you just have to ignore those parts and you know how there's things like um jk rowling who was like no no this character was queer right Right? yeah yeah yeah. anyway stated in the book but queers love it they're like yeah absolutely but that's why I feel like oh, queers, people of color, so creative. We can make, we can try and make so much fanfic. So much fanfic. <laughs> but at the end of the day, maybe we should just try and take down those structures where things are, are happening. Are happening. No, I really agree about this because it gets really depressing living in the subtext. Yeah. Like sometimes you just want to be the main text of the thing, and like I know that a lot of people find it confronting when they're no longer the main text of the thing, and they're like, oh, why do you have to write it about this particular type of person and not me? And I'm like, well, everything about you actually I've really noticed lately I've been reading a lot of books and as I always do it's my thing but I'm really I for one am embarrassed for you who does that there'll be a bunch of characters right and none of them get a physical description yeah and then there'll be one character and they were like oh and this black woman right right or this fat person or this fat person or this this person in a wheelchair or this gay person right I'm noticing it so much and I just think then all the other people what are they that don't get that description exactly exactly what the center the norm right yeah but yeah, tell me about the Red Queen. Okay, so Australian apocalypse novel. This right. uh, epidemic kills out 
most of the population and people are running for the, you know, like, uh, you know, they talk about in prepping films where... Head for higher ground. Head for higher ground, get into oh. the woods, whatever. So um, there's two brothers and their dad had been anticipating some kind of apocalypse-type situation. He'd set right. up this really cool cabin in the woods. Amazing. So the brothers go to live out there. Mm. And there's a really strange, strange relationship between the two of them. We've got the older brother who's, like, very authoritative and mm-hmm. kind of takes control of everything. Then we've got the younger brother that kind of lives under the thumb but he's quite resentful. Oh, I think everyone knows that. Am I right, middle children? <laughs> and then out of nowhere turns up this woman mm-hmm. and she is she needs somewhere to live and she comes to stay with them. Okay. And everything just okay. gets hectic. I'm gonna make personal I'm gonna make a prediction. Go on. She's actually several spiders and an octopus. That's a great idea. In a in a long overcoat. <laughs> Just come to like wreck everything. Uh, you might be onto something. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to check it out, if you want to see if Eddie's prediction is correct, check out The Red Queen by uh, Honey Brown, 2009 debut novel. I read it in one sitting in the bath, couldn't put it down, loved it. For those of you listening who love a good verse novel, sit down because Australian crime has you covered. Hello, we've got Dorothy Porter. Classic. The monkey's mask. Hard talking, hard drinking, swearing, probably motorbike riding, PI, inverse. What? Amazing. Crime novel. The only thing that I have to say about it that was a bit disappointing was the ending. I think it doesn't particularly work as a crime novel. Like right. if it was a straight up crime novel written in that kind of Sue Grafton style, mm-hmm. I'd get to the ending and be like, Psh, Kinsey. But <laughs> because it's a verse novel, it's really, really beautiful. And you've got this kind of tapestry of ideas and like things left out you know the significance of silences in there mm-hmm. and i think that that's pretty great well it's a treasured verse novel it is it was also turned into a film if anyone's seen it get back to Tell us. us tweet us at crime time pod you just know that like every single australian actor ever is in it and probably also meryl streep being like a dingo stole my baby god i love meryl streep yeah okay take us to the second verse novel all right so the second verse novel is one that i've spoken about a lot like a lot guys i will never stop talking about this i freaking love it so it's called gap and it's by rebecca jessen uh who i think is from queensland and uh she like won the premier's award or something for it it's like a big big honor a big deal big deal Mm. and it's a great great book so it follows a young woman her name's jess she is working class she's struggling she's looking after her little sister but there's like a custody dispute between um, her and her mum. A crime has taken place. You're not sure who has done it, but Jess is acting really, really suspiciously. I'm pretty sure her name is Jess. I hope so. <laughs> I haven't, I didn't miss that her name is Rebecca Jessen. Oh. Is there some kind of autobiographical element? I don't know. I don't know either, um, but I could have just made up the name Jess from Jessen, so who knows? <laughs> anyway, it's a really, really good read. It's got that really like conflicted, you know, hopeless feeling. And, you know, there's this thing in Australia when I don't know if this happens with other metros, um, but when you get off the train, often there's an announcement saying mind the gap Mm. because our trains don't fit on the (laughs) platforms very well. (laughs) Anyway, so it's kind of this play on the idea of things slipping through gaps and that that sort of thing. So I would definitely recommend it. It's got a great mystery in the center of it. It's got a really great tempo, which I think is really important in a verse novel. Like some verse novels, you read them and you're like, okay, cool. You hit carriage space a bunch of times and then submit it as a verse novel. <laughs> like, yeah, there's got to be a poetic beat to it, eh? Oh, fully, mm. yeah. So I would say it's definitely worth checking out Rebecca Jessen, Gap. 
Okay, I'm going to go on to talk about Kylie Ladd, The Way Boom. Back. So we spoke about her quite recently, but this mm-hmm. is an Australian extravaganza crime fiction episode, so I'm going to go back. Yeah, Australian straganza. Oh, so uh, this story is about a girl that goes missing. So she's out riding a horse in the bush. Horse mm-hmm. comes back, sans girl. Shit. She's 13 year old. Her name is Charlie. Uh, it's about the family searching for this girl. She's been kidnapped and being held in a barn somewhere. Okay. And the story is uh, half about that mm-hmm. and more about how the family copes and how the child copes when she's, I guess, reintegrated back into her life. Fully. So it's all about the way back. The way back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. It's awesome because, you know, I love crime fiction. I'm also really interested in psychology. Kylie Ladd is a psychologist. Amazing. And it's, yeah, I love the idea of thinking, well, what happens after the story ends? How does yeah. that family or yeah. that child or that person or that victim, survivor, whatnot, go on with their life after Absolutely. experiencing something that they would have experienced in a crime novel? Mm-mm. It's really fantastic. Yeah. I really recommend it. Amazing. All right. Kylie Ladd, The Way Back. Now, we can't talk about Australian crime fiction without talking about Sarah Bailey's The Dark Lake. Debut novel. Debut novel. And I, for one, am shocked. It's brilliant. It's so good. So we have Country Town Cop, Big Mystery, this like fancy teacher is murdered. We've got this, you know, backwards and forwards between the present and the past. We've got all of these like characters who are really mysterious. We've got a main character who's really like withholding of information. And also rough and tumble. Yeah. She drinks too much. She, she swears she too much. She swears too much. She's having an affair. She's a cop. She's got a complicated relationship with her family. But she's also investigating something that happened to a teacher in the town who was also a peer of hers when mm. she was a teenager. So, so it's complicated. A whole, a whole load of feelings in this backpack. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's just zip it closed and move <laughs> on. But no, I have to say The Dark Lake is absolutely great. And if you are looking for an Australian read that will, I don't know, keep you engaged and isn't this kind of like, I don't know, CSI kind of thing, this is, you should pick this up. Mm, it's awesome. So I just thought I'd really quickly mention Ian Ryan because Ian we've Ryan. we've definitely reviewed a couple of his books. He does some really great gritty, um, crooked cop Brisbane stuff. Yes, um, very and I, important in Australian crime fiction. <laughs> crooked cop, crooked the cop. grimy crooked cop. Yeah, and I think Brisbane has had a really big history of corruption that they're still, the police force that is, that they're still kind of trying to recover from Mm -hmm. uh, now. And I think that this kind of thing is is, is really interesting. Yeah. And we reviewed his most recent book, which was The Student. Ah, and it's so good. Mm -hmm. So we, we move forward from, what is it, the 70s? to the 90s Mm -hmm. and we've got a young man who is a drug dealer on the side and he's a student thus the title Uh and he's trying to track down his um supplier who's gone missing i mean it's got a whack ending and you know me i'm all about a good ending i love an ending that i'm like yes this one wasn't a yes ending for me it was kind of a "Ah," but i appreciated it and it made sense in the context you love it when everything's summed up and Look, let's be honest, I love Dickens, right? I love Charles motherfucking Dickens. And the man, he like lets out all these narrative threads and then at the very end he ties them up in a neat little bow. And as much as I'm like a postmodern guy and I agree with Brian Castro that we shouldn't all be like, you know, putting our like shoulders to the crank of narrative fiction and the Victorian novel, but I love a good Victorian <laughs> novel from time to time. Like I love postmodern shit. I love a good verse novel. But, you know, sometimes I just like some some closure. 
I agree with you. I agree with you. And now before we run out completely of time, because we're already going over, we just wanted to touch briefly on our favorite murder weapons. I have to just go straight back all the way to Joan Lindsay. Right. Uh, the Picnic murder at weapon. Hanging Rock. Picnic at Hanging Rock. The murder weapon, so to speak, is a, a time gap. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I got to say, uh, one of my favorite murder weapons is from a Peter James novel. Mm -hmm. And that is the weird cursed semen ghost, (laughs) which is not a ghost made of semen, but a ghost that has inhabited the body of the child of the murderer. Love it. But the child of the murderer was like weirdly inseminated into some couple who like um, applied for IVF. Love it. Anyway, Peter James, <laughs> what's your problem? Get in contact. Give us a call. Actually, don't get in contact. Last time you got in contact, we were like, go away. We never, we never even replied. It was too much. I was uh, stricken, faint right? stricken. Right? Peter James, stay away from us. <laughs> well, on that note, we're out of time. Boom. It's been real. Get in touch. Let us know your favorite crime fiction whatevers. Yeah, let us know your favorite murder weapons, your favorite, well, you know, in, in books, guys. Don't confess any murders to us because we will feel uncomfortable. Fictional murder weapons. Yes. Uh, your other favorite uh, Australian crime, mystery, crime writers, thriller, books, whatever, horror, what have you. Anything. Um, we've been Lee and Eddie. This is Crime Time Podcast. Yeah, episode 25. And we made it through. None of the snakes got us. We've been outside the whole time. If you've heard any weird sounds, just be like, hmm, Australian Gothic. It's amazing. Oh, God. Snake. We gotta go. Bye.